Uh, so I hope you found the book of John at this point. And uh, John 13 is where we'll be. And as we jump into the book of John and in John 13, there are some things we need to know about John 13 uh, in order to see what God is going to teach us in this text. Uh, we, we, we jump into this text, John 13, coming right after John chapter 12. It's amazing, right? That's how the Bible works. That's how the book of John works. And so in John chapter 12, there are a few key group of, groups of people that, uh, that God highlights for us and their reaction about what they believe following Jesus looks like according to them. Uh, there's kind of the crowd that would meet Jesus wherever he would go because according to them, following Jesus was awesome insofar as Jesus was doing what they thought they needed him to do, uh, and then anything beyond that, well, they didn't really follow him, and well, they were all going to abandon him, in fact, yell crucify him in just a few hours after this story. Uh, then there's the disciples. The disciples have been following Jesus for a few years at this point, and the disciples kind of understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But in this moment in John 13, they do not know what God has in plan for them and in store for them, because even though Jesus has said it over and over and over again, they're just like still not getting it. In fact, so much so uh, that they're going to also abandon Jesus uh, in just a few hours from this moment. And then there's the, the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees are a group, uh, sometimes throughout the book of John, uh, called the Jews with a capital J, uh, or uh, the religious leaders. Uh, they were the ones that were uh, really threatened by Jesus and His presence. According to them, following Jesus was uh, taking the, their political party away, the numbers that they had, and causing people to follow Jesus instead of them. And so they began to plot against Jesus throughout the book of John to kill Him. And so we enter into John 13, and John, the book of John, verses 1 through 2, or 1 through 3, rather, really helps us see the things that Jesus knew that we need to know about what was going on with these groups so that we can know what Jesus says it looks like to follow Jesus. So here's the question. What does it look like to follow Jesus? If you're in here today, you don't want Tim Whitney's opinion on what it looks like to follow Jesus. Y'all, I, I have followed my own way before, and it leads to devastation every single time. It is not a good way to follow. And honestly, I, I, um, I, was, uh, uh, I came to this church in 2006. I met my wife in this church. We got married in this church. This is the first church I preached my very first sermon in. This is the church uh, I saw someone come to faith in Jesus. I did my very first baptism in that baptistry right there uh, all those years ago. I have been around for a little bit. I know y'all. And so I say this with all the love and honor uh, that a pastor can say, I don't want your opinion on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, <laughs> because you're just as messed up as me. And so here's what we want to see from this text. I, 
I don't want to know the disciples' opinion uh, 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 of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, I don't want uh, the, the Pharisees' idea of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, I don't want the crowd's opinion of what it means to follow Jesus. I want to know what does Jesus say it looks like to follow Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that is the question that matters. Not what does it look like to follow Jesus according to you or me, but what does it look like to follow Jesus according to Jesus? And we want to see that and follow that. And that's what this text is going to teach us. But there's some things that we need to know, and how this text does that is it begins by telling us these things. And then it begins to give us an example of what Jesus means when he says, follow me. Like literally what it looks like. He does something that shows us what it looks like. And then he explains in kind of the third movement of this. He explains in John chapter 13, 1 through 20, he explains, this is why I want you to follow me this way and not your way or some other way, but why I want you to follow me the way I have defined it, Jesus says. And so in this text, we're going to learn what Jesus says being a follower of Jesus looks like. And the challenge of this text is this. If you don't look like Jesus has said you ought to look as a follower of Jesus, you may not be following Jesus as you ought to. And so John 13 is entering into a somber moment where he needs to teach those who are around him something they just have not quite been able to figure out. And so I want you to know as we go into this text, if you're in here and you still just haven't quite gotten it figured out what it's supposed to look like to follow Jesus, man, this is for you. You're in good company, and we're going to figure this out together because God in His grace has shown us what it looks like. In fact, look at John chapter 13, verse 1, and we'll see some of the things that we need to know that Jesus knows that He wants us to know of what it means to follow Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 1 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father. Uh, what had just happened earlier in the week of this story happening is what we know and recognize as Palm Sunday. Uh, the crowd that had received Jesus shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, like salvation has come. Jesus is coming. Uh, Jesus had sent his disciples ahead to prepare a place for them to uh, be and have this, uh, this Passover meal together. And the crowd knew Jesus does things. Like, Jesus is healing people and raising the dead to life. And John 12, like, the, what he did for Lazarus was, was all throughout, and they wanted to go see and maybe get something from Jesus, this guy who raises the dead and feeds people. But Jesus had been preaching all along that like he is the light that leads people out of darkness, that following him would bring them to God because 
That's where Jesus is from, and that's where he is going. He knew that this was, that his time had come to depart, but man, the crowd was so interested in following Jesus only insofar as he did for them what they wanted him to do. They were only interested in being fed earthly bread and seeing cool things, but they were interested at all in following Jesus to where Jesus was going, which was departing and being in heaven. They had no desire to follow him that far. In fact, no no matter the signs John chapter 12 tells us, and no matter the miracles that Christ did, no matter the needs he met, they simply would not cherish the grace of God and the goodness of God found in Christ. They simply wouldn't believe. Jesus knew that his time had come for his grace and his goodness to be known forever, to be unmistakable, so that the crowd would look and see that this is God, and whether they would receive it or leave it as another time. Jesus knew, looking in verse, the second half of verse 1, that when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and be to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew that he loved his disciples. And he knew that his disciples, in a matter of hours, would completely forget the promises of God, would completely forget the wisdom of God, would completely neglect the teaching that Jesus had given them, that I am going to lay my life down, and three days later I'm going to bring it back up, that I am going to the Father over and over and over again. In John chapter 14, he teaches this even again. And in a matter of hours, they will fear and flee and forget the truth of God. You see, they kind of knew what it looks like But when they began to see what Jesus meant by following him, they didn't quite know what to do with that. And Jesus knows this about them. Man, he knew that they would forget his wisdom and fail to believe his promises. But he would love them anyways, even until the very end. And then look at verse 2. Jesus, the uh, Scripture says, during supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus is absolutely aware, and now because of this text, you are absolutely aware that in this moment, what Jesus is about to do, he does this even knowing that he is going to be betrayed. And of course, he's going to be attacked by his enemies, the Pharisees were going against him for a long time, but he was going to be attacked by his friends. Uh, The idea uh, of uh, had already put in verse 2 means that uh, a while ago, at some point in the past, Judas had these thoughts of, I don't want to be with Jesus anymore. I want to betray him. Uh, This is what Satan does. Uh, Satan is going to work in the heart, uh, work with the thoughts in the heart of Judas, uh, combine them with the greed that Judas has come to be known to have, uh, uh, merge those things with the evil of the Pharisees who are going to work to plot to betray and kill 
Jesus and bring them all together to try to shipwreck the faith of the crowd and the disciples that follow. And they almost succeed, but you can never, ever partner with Satan to stop the plan of God. It ain't going to work. It's just not going to work. But Judas thinks it's going to work. And the Pharisees think that it's going to work. And they have this idea that, uh, that, uh, that Jesus, following Jesus was removing people from God's design for them and their uh, religious uh, party in their land. And they didn't like that that was threatening uh, the kind of the, the, the foothold, the uh, authority that they had developed. The glory of God that was right before them was simply not honored. The person of God who was in their midst simply was not loved. Jesus knew this about the Pharisees. Jesus knew this about Judas. Jesus knew this about the disciples. Jesus knew this about the crowd. In other words, we come into this text and we see that Jesus is deeply aware that the grace of God wouldn't be cherished, that his goodness would not be savored, that his wisdom would not be esteemed, that his promises would not be believed, that his glory would not be honored, and that the person of God, Jesus himself, was not loved. He knew all of this. He knew he was going back to God. He knew he was from God, and he wants to show his disciples and you and me, this is what it looks like to follow me, even with people who hate you. In fact, especially with those who are so evil, they would try to kill God. That's the weight of this text. If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see what it looks like that Christ came for you as a sinner. You're going to see that even as his enemy, you're going to see that God demonstrates for his love for you in that state, in that moment. You're going to see that Christ died for you while you were an enemy and against him. You're going to see, hopefully today, that God is coming for you and he loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you long before you ever even thought about getting your life together because let's be honest, every time we try, we fail. You're going to see God's love demonstrated through Jesus becoming a servant and dying for your sin. And if you're a follower of Christ in here, this text is going to challenge you to follow his example. He, 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 this is a command. This, is like, this isn't an, an option of whether or not we're going to serve people uh, that we count uh, unworthy of service. But rather, he's going to help us see what it looks like to serve people with the purpose of knowing God, even people we don't like, in fact, especially even more so, that we would serve the undeserving, that they would be served and know and experience God and his love through Christ in us. In fact, here's what we're going to learn today, kind of two points, so you kind of know where to hang all this on. We're going to look at verses 4 through 19, and we're going to see that Jesus commands me, and he commands you to be like him and serve the least. 
And then we're going to look at verse 20, and we're going to see that Jesus commands me to serve the least. He commands you to serve the least so that they would know God. So those are the things that Jesus knows that his disciples don't know that we need to know in order to understand what's going on. And now watch in verse 4 as Jesus begins to show us an example of what it looks like to be Jesus. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, after he uh, had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Uh, Look what happens here. Uh, What happens in uh, the Lord's Supper in that day or Passover feast in that day, Passover meal uh, in that day, is uh, they would have gone ahead, and so Jesus asked uh, Peter and John, John, the one writing this book, to go and prepare a place for them to have this meal. In this meal, the text tells us uh, that they were reclined, that they were at what would be called the triclinium. It's a three-sided recliner, kind of like recliner. You have one at home or maybe not, uh, but a triclinium, three-sided recliner, and they all would have kind of leaned down on their side and ate from the table uh, in the middle of the, uh, of the recliner thing. But part of that process was that there would be a servant assigned, told, uh, to wash everybody's feet because people have dirty feet. Y'all, if y'all think your feet are dirty, and they probably are, I don't know, uh, but if you think that you have dirty feet, uh, just, man, go walk around for um, decades uh, in dirt streets and flip-flops uh, where animals do what they do and just see how dirty your feet will get. Y'all, these disciples had dirty feet. And so Jesus at this triclinium, there was a head of the table. Uh, you know the stories where Jesus says, hey, don't look for the greatest place, sit in the least. And when the person who throws the feast calls you to come sit up with them, you'll be honored. But if he, t- you know, that kind of parable, that there was, a, there was a place of honor that Jesus as the teacher and Lord would have been sitting, and he looks around and sees the disciples sitting to celebrate, and no one is serving, and he stands up, takes off his robe, probably has a, a, some kind of under uh, covering, some kind of uh, uh, a loincloth tunic thing uh, going on, and he takes a towel, and he takes a washcloth, and he takes the basin of water, and he begins to act as a servant. This is shocking to the disciples, that the one who is resting in the place of honor the one who is God himself that they are following, would take himself out of that position, put on the form of a servant, and begin to deal with the dirt and filth of the disciples who failed to obey his basic commandment of setting up the supper as they ought to. Y'all see where this is going, right? What Jesus was doing was shocking because he was the one who ought to be served, but the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus is going to show this to them. 
This is so shocking to everyone in the room that look at how the story progresses. He, verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he came to Simon Peter, verse 6, who said to him, uh, he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? It's this like passive-aggressive statement of like, with an assumed answer of, no, you're not washing my feet, Lord. That's not what you do. Why are you doing that? And look at Jesus' response in verse 7. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand right now, but afterward you will understand. Peter hears this, and he begins to kind of freak out because Jesus has just said, I'm doing something you don't know about. Like, you've missed it the last three years. You're telling me to stop, and I'm going to keep doing this. And if you don't understand this, you do not have any part of me. And Peter, always like a flair for the dramatic, man, he starts to freak out. Look at what he says in, verse, in, uh, in, uh, in chapter 13, verse, uh, verse 9. Simon Peter said, he freaks out, Lord, like not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Do you see just how quick uh, Peter goes from like, yo, yo, you're not going to touch me. Do not touch me to like, man, okay, just like wash all of me. Like I, I want to figure this out. And Jesus answers and says, man, listen, the one who has bathed, verse 10, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, this isn't about like salvation, man. You're you're okay. This is about something I need to teach you in this moment about dealing with people in their filth and in their dirt that you just haven't seemed to have gotten. And it stung extra for Peter because his responsibility was to have somebody set up to serve. He was the leader of the disciples. He walked in having failed to set it up and still after teaching, teaching after teaching after teaching, did not serve even the ones around him as Christ has commanded. And so Jesus sees this in them. He sees there's this bickering, uh, misunderstanding about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, even among his followers. And there was this constant conversation going on throughout the life of Jesus, of his disciples coming and saying, hey, um, who's going to be sitting at your right hand and who's going to be sitting at your left hand uh, when you ascend to the throne? They were even getting like their, their parents involved, like, hey, mom, go ask Jesus, like, who's going to be the best here? And Jesus over and over again is like, it's, it's not those who are the greatest, it's those who are least that will be made the greatest. Y'all want to be first, be last. Y'all want to be high in the kingdom, go low. Over and over and over again, he teaches this to his disciples. Jesus sees that Peter is missing something. And so Jesus wants him to know, this is about what you need to know and do. And being a follower of Jesus, you are fine but you're as, as in salvation, but you're missing what it means to live that out in your life. So here's what Jesus does. The king of everyone and everywhere, for those who failed to even hit his most basic request, who would abandon him in a number of hours, who didn't deserve the call of God, 
who God chose in Christ from the beginning of time. He looks at them who would betray him, and he says to them, if no one else is going to serve you, I've got this. I'm going to serve you. This is what God does. This is what God does for us in the gospel. He takes on the form of a servant so that the very dirtiest among us, which is all of us who fall in sin short of the glory of God, which is every person who's ever lived, he takes on the form of a servant so that they may be clean. This is where you were when you came to know Jesus. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for you not when you had your life together, not when you finally started doing right, but God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. The Bible tells us in the gospel that God didn't wait for you to figure out how to serve him well before he came running for you. In fact, it says the opposite. It says, to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. That's how we were. The ungodly, who justifies the ungodly. His faith, that person who believes in Jesus, the ungodly person, his faith is counted toward God as righteousness. Did you know that the gospel teaches us that God wasn't waiting for you to try to live a, a, a life in him? But rather, while you were dead, God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. And he raised you up to be seated at the right hand of God, where Christ is, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ, for by grace you've been saved for through faith. And that wasn't of yourself. That's a gift of God so that no one would be able to boast in that. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He saved you. He served you. He loved you. He rescued you when you were his enemy, when you were against him, when you would abandon him, and he reached out anyways. That's the gospel that Jesus is showing his disciples right now. And in that, in that moment, we're now confronted with this reality. Jesus came to serve the least. But watch what he does with this. And now this is where it gets real, real. If you wore steel toe boots, you might want to take them off because he's about to step on some toes. Here's what he says. Watch this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, after he had become a servant and cleansed their dirtiness that was in the room, he got back where he rightfully belongs, and he teaches them this. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? Well, no, no, they didn't understand, so he explains it. Here's the explanation. Ready? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you 
an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, the servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. The scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Listen, don't pull a Peter and miss this. Don't do that. They're all about to abandon Jesus in just a little bit. They're going to miss this. They're going to come back because God is gracious, man. He's going to pull them back in and redeem them. He's going to feed them some fish and say, you're good, Peter. You know, I love you. Like, he's going to do that. But in this moment, Peter misses it. And I don't want you to miss this in this moment that Jesus is saying, listen, I came to serve the least, therefore you are here to serve the least. That's what you're to do, disciples. You're to serve the least. You want to be great? Serve the least. You want to be kind of worthy in the kingdom of God? Go and serve those who are unworthy of service and serve them so that they would know God. Serve. And this is where it steps on our toes. If we're not careful, we can take following Jesus and manipulate it in a way where we're not serving anybody except ourselves. Maybe it looks like following Jesus, and as long as He's doing the things and meeting the needs that you think you have. Maybe it looks like following Jesus and he'll, until He begins to threaten the uh, position and uh, political conviction that you've held for so long. And maybe it looks like following Jesus until it begins to get real and the whole teachings about, man, if you want to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. And then you're like, he like literally takes up a cross. Like he, man, he really wants me to follow me with everything in my life, even if it means my death, representing him to the nations and this world and here in Hampton Roads. Uh, maybe if we're not careful, you can take what Jesus has said about following Jesus and twist it into something that doesn't mean what Jesus meant. And that's the danger. So here's the question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And you can see what it means to you by how you serve. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with that. He wants you to know why, why that's how he wants you to be. He wants you to know, he wants his disciples to know. I'm not just telling you to serve for serving's sake, although that's great, but I'm, you're serving for the same purpose that I am serving you. Look at what Jesus explains in verse 20 about why this is the example that we're to follow as a follower of Jesus. Verse 20 says this, truly, truly, okay, Jesus, he's about to make it real. Like, anytime you see that, you're like, okay, this is, he's going to summarize it. He's going to, this is what he's going to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receives the one I, uh, receives the one I, the, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Look at the flow of what Jesus says here. Jesus says, when you go and serve like this, whoever receives you is receiving me. Listen, when you go serve in the name of Christ, as Christ has served, and someone receives the service that you are providing, you are helping them see and know Christ, because that's the very name that we bear, the very spirit that is within us as followers of Jesus, that we go forward being the, uh, the example of Christ and the hands, of feet, hands and feet of Christ and bearing the message of Christ to the world and those around us. Jesus wants you to know that he has this for you, that you are to serve the least, not just so that you would serve for service's sake, serving sake, but so that they would know God. This is the defining factor. This is what God, Jesus, wants you to know about serving him that we would live and breathe and move in such a way that we're forsaking our comfort for the sake of others knowing God, not because we're trying to earn it, we're not trying to get our whole body washed, but because God is continuing to cleanse us and wash us even from our own dirt and filth. That we would look and see those who are unworthy of being served and know what it is to be unworthy of being served and serve them as Christ has served us so that they would know God. Kids, are, are your brother and sister driving you crazy? Here's a crazy application. Serve them so they can see Jesus. Teenagers, man, are, are there weird kids or mean kids at school? Man, serve them and show them Jesus. Is your CEO, XO, CMC, supervisor being like, you know, a good shipmate? You know, you know what I mean? Like serve them and show them Jesus. Do y'all have a crazy neighbor? I know my neighbor does. Do y'all have a crazy neighbor? And serve them and show them Jesus. Serve and show them Jesus because you are worthy of the honor of Christ and you bear his name. And now in his name, you forsake all honor of your position due to you because God has called you to go to those places and serve people that will not know him except unless you go and say, this is what Jesus is. This is what he looks like. This is what he did for me. Now I'm doing it for you. Serve and show Jesus. So what do we do with this? Well, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus teaches them this the week of Palm Sunday and leading into, and this is maybe Thursday night, depending on how they measure the calendar. And then after this moment, they're, they're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And in this moment, the disciples are confronted with the same thing we're confronted with. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That's what Christ is commanding me to do. And unlike the disciples, we can see beyond this moment and understand that this is what Christ does. When they see him on the cross, man, that's not defeat, that's victory. That's God doing what he came to do, serve the undeserving. That they would know God. 
And so as the deacons come forward uh, right now, and as we begin to play some music and worship, we're going to hold in our hand the elements that help remind us that I was undeserving and God's body was broken for me, that I was apart from God and God's poured out Jesus' blood to seal me forever and forgive me of my sin in a covenant relationship with Him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, as we go into the Lord's Supper right now, you're going to uh, see uh, two things that represent what God has done for you in Christ. Uh, This moment isn't for those who uh, have not confessed Jesus. Uh, Parents, you figure it out for your kids on your own. You know their hearts. This moment is for those who have believed in Jesus to remember His blood and remember His body and celebrate this is how I have been saved, how God has served me, and now why I am compelled to go and serve others in His name. And what we're going to do is in just a minute, online, uh, go ahead and get your stuff ready. Uh, Here in the room, we're going to have deacons dismiss you by row. And as we're worshiping through music, we're going to have some time for, as you grab the elements, to go back to your seat and reflect for just a moment on whether or not you've been serving like Jesus has called you to serve, whether or not you're following Him like He calls you to follow Him, or if you've been serving something else or something less. And you're going to have a moment to just confess your sin and believe in Jesus and be forgiven of your sin. Y'all, this would be a really hard sermon to preach if I didn't know that just as God is faithful to forgive the sin of one who does not know him and is his enemy, oh my goodness, God is so faithful to, for, if, to forgive you of your sin, follower of Jesus, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness too. So let's ask that question. And then just practically, this week, what can you do to serve. And Jesus, this isn't like a good idea we get to leave and be like, oh, that was pretty cool. Like literally he says, if you do these things, that's, you're blessed are you if you do these things. What does it look like to serve the undeserving around you? Practically, like what are you going to do this week? Not to serve them for service's sake, but to do it in a way and in the name of the God you represent so they would know God even if they're not going to listen, so that they would know God. So that being said, let's pray. Let's take the elements. Let's reflect. And then at the end, I'll come up and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, thank you for how good you are to us. Oh, you, man, you loved me when I was so far from you. God, you, you love me even now when I stray from you. Oh, you were so good. Father, teach us in this moment what it looks like to be like Jesus as you have said we should be. Help us to look like Jesus as you say we should look and empower us by your Spirit to live out your call and how you desire us to follow you. Help us to be more in love with Jesus and more like him because of this time spent with you in your presence. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.